Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Whenever you get into a late night situation, especially in the cold of Wisconsin, now we've got the nice warm weather here that's at least getting us like moving a little bit, but let's go to when it's ice cold and you've got to get out of bed because you really, really have to go to the bathroom or your dog is barking to go out or a baby's crying or something happens. Okay, so logically work with me for the second. What goes through your mind is you're laying in bed and you're all wrapped up thinking, okay, I'm going to start my prayer life right now. Dear Lord, please make that dog stop barking. Um, You know, Lord, please don't make me get out of that bed. Because you know, as soon as you open the covers, there's going to be a flood of freezing ice cold that comes into you. So you, you get out of bed and you start to take your steps and you're stumbling around because of course you're not going to turn a light on. You, you know, you're, you're just trying to find where you're going. And then it happens. That magical, beautiful, delicate, God-made, little itty-bitty baby toe finds the sharpest, hardest, most terrible object in the room. And you, with full force, like an NFL kicker, take a step forward and jam that little baby as hard as you can into something that does not move. And the pain that you feel in that moment, plus the cold of the air around you, culminates into something you would never, ever want to say in front of children. (laughs) Something happens to you where pain shoots from a baby all the way to the top of your head, and you scream out in agony. But there's worse. What is worse than jamming baby toe? Every parent knows the truth that the man who created Legos, (laughs) that man created Legos with one purpose, which was to torture every adult ever in the history of humanity. When you step on a Lego, it's like there are like porcupine barb fingers that go from the bottom of your foot all the way through. And you're like, and if you step on a Lego and then swing your other foot out of the way and hit baby toe, It's just instant death. It's just death. (laughs) The thing about this is when when there's darkness, you can't see stuff around you. When the lights are off and you're scrambling and you're doing that, I should know where the light switch is feeling on the wall and you're totally missing it. And you're like, this is, I don't feel comfortable. It's supposed to be here, but you can't find it. And so you're stumbling around to do anything you can to be able to find some sort of light because once the light flicks on, you're able to see what's in front of you. Now, granted, I believe that some Legos are made purposely invisible so that like even with lights on, you still can't see them, right? And you're still stepping on them and breaking your like everything in your foot. But the truth is with the lights on, you can avoid them. And when there's light shining on things, it gives you a different perspective. When the light exposes what's around you, you can actually avoid the scenario. And that's something we want to look at today. In our world, there's so much darkness. 
And I just, before I go to blaming other people and talking about society and others, I want you just to sit on yourself today. When you are living in a way that you know that's not correct, you hide. Just, I, I didn't ask the question, that was statements, right? Like, when we are sinning, and myself included, when I engage in something I know that's not right, I shrink back into a corner of darkness to say, I don't want anybody to see me. Like a dangerous Lego or a dangerous sharp corner, I shrink back in my sin and saying, I don't want to be exposed. The greatest fear of all humans is public speaking. Did you know this? Your greatest fear, as you're sitting here, I love your speech, Pastor Jason. Dear Lord, never make me give a speech or a message or anything in front of people on a stage. It is our greatest fear. And the greatest fear about public speaking is this. You don't want to be exposed. What if I say the wrong thing? What if my shirt doesn't look right? What if my hair is bad? What if I spit too much? What if I don't say something funny? And you start to write these scenarios of what people will say to you. And when you're on a stage, there's literally nowhere for me to hide. Think about this in your sin. What if we took your sin and your dark side, we'll say, and we put it up on a stage for all to see right now? I'm going to take you and say, hello, friend. I'm going to put you right here on this chair and we can see every listed out sin terrifying because darkness hides. We want to hide in the darkness. But we're going to have a little bit of attention today in our passage because our whole Lenten series is about the power of the gospel. And so there's a looming question that I have to ask. If we have the power of the gospel, the power that Jesus Christ died for all of humanity, Jesus Christ provided a way for us to have a relationship with God, Jesus Christ has an opportunity to be transformed both now and forevermore. Why is it that so many Christians or churchgoers or fill in your blank are not living different? Why is it that so many of you sit here today saying, Jason, I have a lot of hurt from a person, a place, a leader, something in church? Why is it, now I'm going, to go, I'm going to go there right now, church, I'm, ready, I'm about to preach, man, I'm ready to go, right? I'm going to go there right now. Why is it that the people of Jesus Christ don't necessarily look different than the world around them? Why is it that we, called to be the light into the world, we are here to be a light into the world, are the ones hiding in darkness? And this is why I say this. It's because we do not actually understand the power of the gospel. Because the power of the gospel says to your sin, I'm going to put light on your sin. And instead of running backwards to hide it with guilt and shame, you understand you are free. Guilt and shame no longer exists. And so now you can say, because I'm free and because of what Jesus has done for me, this isn't some religious thing that I'm doing I'm free, so therefore I'm like, Lord, forgive me. And so you come to the light to be freed by the light. You know you're forgiven. The love that Jesus has for you isn't shifting around like some angry God. He just loves you every single day. 
for all of the bad that you've done. He still loves you. So you come to the light and say, Lord, forgive me. He's like, you're forgiven. I love you. If the church of Jesus Christ did that, the entire world would be changed. Because we would not be pointing fingers at others. We'd be pointing our fingers at ourselves, and we're okay with it. And why there's hurts right now is we have this weird thing going on. We don't give the power of the gospel into our lives. So we shrink back and hide our sins, and then we point fingers at all of your sins because we know what they are. We just don't talk about ourselves. We talk about you. Now, I know a lot of sins in this room, so I'm going to go around the room right now. (laughs) Totally not going to do that. How to kill a church plant in one sermon. That's it, you know. The truth is this, friends. What if you truthfully started something new in your spiritual life that engaged the power of the gospel? That you start to see yourself as free. You started to see yourself in the light of what's about to happen at Good Friday and Easter is that Jesus saved me. He's literally saving me today, right now, and he's going to save me from the mess I'm about to do as soon as I walk out this door. He is continually saving me because that's the power of the gospel. I'm free. So I'm not going to boast in sin. I'm not like, ah, I did all these terrible things. I come and say, I'm, I messed up. Lord, I know you love me. I know I'm forgiven. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And we as friends and family give each other grace and mercy as we live through this gospel-centered life. And the power of the gospel transforms a community that transforms your families, that transforms your neighborhoods, that transforms our state and the world. That is what I believe. Because that's what the word says the power of the gospel is. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power in which Jesus does all these miracles we've been talking about is the same power of the spirit that is in you, but we don't use it to be free. We don't tap into it to bring life into the world. What we do is we start shrinking back into the darkness and say, Dear Lord, please don't let anybody know what's really going on behind the dark places of my life. And so we're going to look into this passage today because I believe if we can live in the power of the gospel, we can live a transformed life. So often in our church environments, if you're new to church, uh, this might be new to you. If you've been there for a while, you might understand this as well. We talk about this kind of stuff. We talk about Big words like Jesus can change your life. And then we're like, okay, what does that mean? And then no one gives an answer. Like Jesus can change you. Like, what does that mean? So this is what we're going to study and look into today. What does it mean to have a transformed life? We're going to be in Ephesians today, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be working through quite a bit of passage today. So if you have your phones or your Bibles with you, uh, Bible apps, Uh, We'll start in 4.17 to 19. I'm going to break down a passage in a little bit of a different way for you. We're going to go piece by piece. We're going to start with 4.17 to 19. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Wow, that's a great verse to start with, right? Boom, we go for the jugular. But we have to understand what Paul is saying because he says, so I tell you this. There's a reason why I'm telling you this. So I'm going to backtrack to the beginning here. Beginning the passage, Ephesians chapter 4.1, Paul is calling them to live a life that's worthy of Jesus Christ. And he summarizes it all in this. You need to love each other. Your job is to love each other. Your job, I want, I want to say this because we hear this word love, is to love each other. Your job is to love each other and have unity with each other. And inside of that, we work together. There's a togetherness that's happening. There's a unity that's happening. There's love that is happening. And this is required. It's not an option. So whatever your experience is in your church environments, I want you to think for a second. Were you unified in love on mission together? If you are new to the church environment, you may have ideas of what church is supposed to be. I thought it was a place where I hear a guy say a speech and I go home. I, I thought we sing songs or perhaps your, your uh, background might be, I, I went through some classes or whatever your background might be. Have you ever heard the ideas that you are supposed to, and by supposed to, you're required to be united in love? That the whole concept of the family of God is this unity that comes together and it's required. I don't have an option to not like you. We may not be best friends. We may not agree. We may see world differently, but I'm called and I must love you. Must. Because if I am thinking of the God way, now think about this. Who does God say, I don't like that person, I'm not going to love him? He doesn't. Everybody is given the love of God. So therefore, we are representatives of the light. So we now love everybody. And I know what you're thinking. You do not know my neighbor. My neighbor literally kicks my cat every time it runs by. My neighbor is terrible grump. My neighbor's the one who sits with a spray hose on the edge of his lawn and sprays kids going by on their bicycles and says, get off my lawn, which I really think would be awesome. I'd love to do that someday. <laughs> like with the tall black socks up to my knees, you know, and the short shorts or some jorts. If those people don't know what jorts are, those are the jean shorts with the pockets hanging out. Could you see me, that guy? Like, get off my lawn, kids. You know, like, you don't know. You don't understand. I want you to think about this. If that neighbor does not know God and is far from God, okay, that's a hard person to love. How in the world are you going to love him when you can't love the people who are right here in the family of God? How can we say, I'm not going to love the people who are right here redeemed by God, who are going to be eternity with me? I don't want to love them, but I'm going to love my, I'll try to love my neighbor. You can't. It starts within the family of God. It starts that we love that radiates love into a world. So it's not either or, it's both and. Some Christians say, hey, I love loving Christians. I love hanging out with Christians. I love Christian, 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 Christian. And they, they love that, but I don't want to love those people out there. Some Christians say, I can't stand church people. 
Maybe some of our friends right now streaming, you're dropping in right now because you're like, Jason, I've been in church. I went through church. I've tried church. It's not my thing. I've been hurt too much. I don't want to chance the relationship of love again. I, all I can say is I get it. I've been hurt by church more times than I can count, by church people, church leaders, church friends, church mentors. I have been hurt too. For that one person that hurt, there's a thousand that's poured life into me. And the real church, I've seen that when we love well, it changes lives by how we love. And that's what Paul's telling us. It starts with love. The reason why I'm pounding this Because to get into the point of gospel-powered lives, and we start to talk about we can't live any longer in this old way of thinking, it starts with a group of people that love. So let me encourage you today, if this is hard for you, or you've got history and story and baggage, Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus for a reason. They weren't doing it. So all the way back then, in the, when you've got an early church, they were struggling with caring for each other, just like we do. They're struggling with this idea of how do we love and unify and be together. And so now we're going to go back, thinking through what we just heard, into Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. I'm going to read this again. Knowing that we are called and mandated to love, He's insisting this. He says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." You have a compare and contrast of what's happening right now. There's a group of people who are saying, we need to love and care and be sensitive, care for each other. This love is sacrificial, it's giving. This other group over here are numb. I don't care. Life's all about me. I don't care what you think. I don't care about you. I don't care about your story. I don't care what your needs are. Life is about me. There's a darkness that's happened. But understand that Paul is writing to a church that's living numb. The church was living like them because he says, I insist you must no longer live like they do. No longer live, which means you currently are. You have to stop that now. Now, I want to talk back to my church hurt friends right now, or maybe those who've tried it and jumped. You can probably relate with this. There was a darkening of heart. Someone said something to you that wasn't kind. There wasn't love. You needed somebody. They weren't there. Whatever your story is, you can really relate to that piece of the story and say, I've been in an environment where they say they love Jesus, but they don't actually live it. I've been in the story where I've seen this peace, and it's dark, and I don't like it, and I don't want to be a part of it. Here's my encouragement for you today, and for any friends who are just out there right now, maybe in Facebook or YouTube saying, I want to step away. Here's what I'm going to say to you. It's not supposed to be that way. If we lived what Jesus told us to do in gospel power, light goes into the darkness, and there's freedom in the gospel. 
that as you, as you are working through your faith journey and trying to figure things out and you're like, and trying to piece together, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I urge you and insist on you the just same way that Paul does. It says we live together in unity and love for each other and we transform the way that we see the world, that we are not numb, but instead we're alive because of the gospel. The gospel so empowers us infuses us, we eat it, breathe it, sleep it, live it, love it. It's because Good Friday and Easter to gospel-centric people are every single day of our lives. Good Friday and Easter, which are my favorite of all the services, love Good Friday service because it just keeps putting me to that place of how I need Jesus to die for me. I don't ever forget that or leave that. So therefore, when I look at a friend, a guest, a neighbor in the church, out of the church, I'm like, we all need that because I need that every day. Your pastor is terrible. Ask my family. They see me in my dark places. They see me when I'm frustrated. They see me when I mess up. They see me. Ask my friends. They see me when I sin. They see me when I'm dark hearted. They see me and they say, Jason, it's not right. My story is not different from your story. Our stories come to the same place. Our stories is that we need the power of the gospel in our lives every single day. You have the ability to be saved. You have the ability to be saved now. You have the chance to be saved forever. That's the power of the gospel. But there are these who are numb. And so he insists on it that God has something better. But now we're going to move on into Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But I want you to hear, if you guys have, uh, can read along, it'll be on the screen behind us. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Listen now what he uh, shares with the church. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. An exchange happens. You have been taught that there's an exchange that happens. You can't have a value system that's dark, corrupt, and numb. At the same time over here, have a value system that's love, encouragement, and life-giving. You have to get rid of the old way. If you try to marry the two together, it's not going to work. And I asked the question in the beginning, what's happened to our church? Here's my statement. I believe that for too long, the American church has not talked about the power of the gospel. For too long, we have not talked about how Jesus Christ transforms you into a life that's new. For too long, we said, do these three things and you'll feel better. Here are the three C's to good Christian living. Here's the seven answers, like every Facebook post ever, right? The seven answers, how to be a great Christian dad. Here's the answer to all of those. Fully give your life to Jesus Christ and submit to the power of the gospel and you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is what it says in the word of God. And that's what he is telling us right here. There has to be a transfer. So you are either numb or you are alive. 
Either the power of the gospel is in the process of transforming you, or you are numb. So you ask the question, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, Jason. Why in the world then do I and you keep sinning? That is the terrible tension of humanity. Because now as I continually sin, I'm like, why do I keep falling back? Why do I still make mistakes? If I'm a new person, how do I keep on sinning? Here's how it works. Stop it. No, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) You keep sinning because you forget. You keep sinning because you go back to your old ways. We keep going back to old things like a dog returns to its vomit as opposed to going to the new things in the new ways. It gives life and we know it. But then for some reason we decide, ah, just right now I want to indulge myself. And here's the beauty of the gospel. You are already forgiven. It's already freedom. You are already freed. So we don't come with the guilt and shame. What we come is repentance and worship and we lay it before the cross. And the more that you turn your life over in this journey of faith, the more you realize sin you didn't realize before, the more you rid it out of your lives. This is going to be a journey for the rest of your lives because he calls us to us right this at the end of this verse, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We were made as image bearers of God to live this way. Your purpose in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden is you are an image bearer. Only humans were made with this amazing ability to be reflectors or mirrors of God's glory back. That is your purpose, but you are a cracked mirror. And so we don't reflect correctly. And so now we want to find ways. How do I become more like an uncracked mirror? And so right now, we can't. We keep trying. We're created for righteousness and holiness And that's where Jesus Christ steps in. Because Jesus is holiness and he is our righteousness for us. Therefore, we're seen as righteousness because of him. The power of the gospel exchanges an old value system into a new value system. As we move on, this has been a lot to absorb in one statement. Like, okay, whew. I'm going to give you a breath for a second. When you think about the gospel, do you really understand it? When you think about Jesus Christ dying in two weeks for our sins, have you really engaged it? If you have the gospel in front of you and you could hold it, would it be the most valuable thing in your entire life? If you could say, I would give up everything in the world but you are not going to take Jesus Christ from me, then you can start to see the most valuable piece of your life. Because the gospel is so important for now and for eternity if we see it through the right lens. I ask the question, what's happened to our churches? We've lost our zeal and love of that gospel. But I don't believe it's dead. In fact, I believe there's a movement that's happening. I believe through this whole COVID-19, there's an awakening of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I'm hearing of church plants and churches who are awakening to a whole new movement of saying, let's get back to the basics of what we're supposed to be. Love God, love others. That's it. What about all these extra ministries? I don't know. Let's just love God and love others and see what happens. I'm seeing a movement of friends and people saying, I just want to know what does it mean to actually have a relationship with God? Can you tell me? And the average American Christian can't answer the question. That is why Mosaic Church exists. We exist to reach lost, broken people and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. When you hear our vision statement, igniting a movement of radical love that transforms our community and the world, I want you to hear it, is igniting a movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms right where we live, transforms your lives, and it transforms the entire world because that's what I know the scriptures calls us to. That is why we exist. I don't believe it's dead. As a matter of fact, I believe it's reawakening again. Like a sleeping giant, there's going to be a movement of people back to the basics of why do I live a powerless life that's just kind of in motion? Why aren't I as excited as Pastor Jason or Pastor Nick or the person in my small group? It's not about an excitement. It's about a value system and the power of the gospel. We've exchanged. But I want you to look at Ephesians 4 now, 25, 5 through 7. Ephesians 4, we're going to go into chapter 5, 5, 7. What does this new self look like? This is what the new self looks like. This is what an exchange looks like. This is what the power of the gospel looks like. And before I state these things, when I say, state the power of the gospel, if you haven't heard it, let me just derive this very clear. You do not have the ability outside the power of God to make these changes. Amen. If you think that you're going to be a really good person and do lots of good things and your own strength, that's not what this is. This is a, I take my life and I exchange it for the life God has. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead does a work inside of me. And this is now what it looks like. Okay. Here we go. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. 
nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You ready for this? Let me go down the list again. Don't be a liar. Don't sin in anger. Don't let the day end angry. The devil gets an opportunity when you do that. Don't steal. Instead, you're supposed to work and you're supposed to give away to those who are in need. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Instead, you're supposed to use your words to build others up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all your bitterness, rage, and anger, your brawling and slander and malice. Do be compassionate. Do forgive, just as God forgave you. Live a life that imitates the Lord. Do not even have a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. No obscenity, no foolish talk, no coarse joking. Instead, use words that's thankful and joyous. Give thanksgiving. The immoral, impure, or greedy do not get an inheritance. Do not be deceived with empty words. Avoid those people. What if? What if Mosaic Church actually did this? What if a church family in Slinger, Wisconsin started a movement of the power of the gospel infusing our lives so much so that we become the light in the darkness? We expose all those little corners that break your little baby pinky toe. We expose Legos not to point fingers, but to say we are in the light because Jesus is the light. What if we don't point fingers but say, brothers and sisters, there's better? What if you right now, thought perhaps for the first time, I want that Jesus. That type of Jesus that you're talking about, the one that changes lives, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be something bigger than myself. I don't want fire insurance from hell. I want to know the God of the universe. I want to know what it means to live a life free. I want to know Jesus. Friends, this is why we are here, for that Jesus. If you want Jesus Christ as your Savior today, he's yours to take. It's a simple submission of life, but here's the thing. There's a lot of easy things you could do. This isn't an easy thing. I say this. Are you willing to take all the chips of your life and push them in and say, I'm all in? Because if you're not ready to do that, then you're not ready for what we talked about. It's okay. You might want to process this for a while, but a life of the power of the gospel, if you throw a couple of chips on the table, you're going to live a powerless Christian life. The power of the gospel says, I'm all in for the cause of Jesus. I will give my life for the cause. That is the power of the gospel. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.